Hello and welcome to another episode of the In Between Podcast. Uh, I'm Colson Lechner. I'm a new voice coming through your speakers this morning. Uh, I'm filling in for John Redfern, who is on vacation with his family this week. I'm joined, as always, by Paul McKenzie here in studio uh, and Chris Legg via Zoom. Um, Yeah, and we're continuing our conversation as we journey through the book of Daniel, specifically wrapping up chapter 5 this week. Guys, I'm glad to be here. And yeah. hear, hear stuff from you. And we're glad to have you on board. And as a little side note, <clears throat> and something uh, uh, probably hearkening me back to uh, olden days, uh, this is a weird morning for me because for some reason I walked in and saw John's cooler sitting in the corner and saw a Red Bull floating in there. <laughs> and I decided to pull it out. Um, and for, oh, go- goodness, probably, uh, probably, at least, at least a good year of my life, every morning when I woke up uh, and went to uh, work before school, I would stop by the gas station and I would buy a Red Bull and a six-pack of powdered sugar donuts, and that would be my breakfast. And <laughs> wow. I'm sure my life has been shortened some <laughs> amount of time because of that. And then here we are again. So I'm having a lot of strange fr- flashbacks. So we'll see how this podcast goes. I don't see any donuts, though. So wow. No donuts, yeah. just the Red Bull. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, Col- uh, Colson, you you have very much so more of a podcast voice than any of, the Red <laughs> than any of us. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Your intro there, I was like, wow. Like, that was... <laughs> Welcome to the in-between podcast, bro. <laughs> on Mike. Oh, well, that's, that's good. I, I hope that's okay. <laughs> we can re- re-record it if we need to. <laughs> um, well, Colson, hopefully you'll jump in when you got, uh, if you've got questions or clarifications or comments or, or mostly just this like snide remarks. That's what John does in that role. I, is. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm best at. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So we're, we, like you said, we're in Daniel five. It's been funny, you know, Daniel five is, I think a story that normally, normally you would tell beginning to ending in one sermon. One setting. Yeah. And, and so to break it across three weeks, I know it's been driving my wife crazy. I mean, she was, she's ready for the conclusion. Oh my gosh. I don't know if angry, angry is not the right word, but certainly like when I walked in Sunday after, you know, came home since we're in quarantine, I'm there, she's here. I walked in and she was almost immediately, you, you didn't, you didn't get to the end. Like, you didn't finish it? I was sitting there going like, oh, he's gonna, no, he didn't finish it. Like, anyway, so, yes, yeah, that's a, uh, I am sure she's not the only one going, really? We're still, we're not finished with this chapter? <laughs> yeah. Actually, next, the chapter six is going to kill people. Mm-hmm. We move slowly through six. It, anyway, which which I intend to take probably three weeks on six, so. Anyway, that's uh, that's fun. Okay, so the the top the topic of four and five, the application part, um, has certainly pride has been a, a consistent theme. Yeah, and of all the themes to kind of sit in the parking lot on, so it, so it runs home. Pride maybe is the most appropriate one um, because, like, we even were you know recalling stories of our own kind of development years and, and pride that it seeped into our lives. And yeah, the, what it takes to unroot that or to even realize that is, is not just a one and done type thing. So yeah, it seems, it seems appropriate. Well, what, so as we were just talking just for a couple of minutes before, 
um, we looked at, you know, Paul, you mentioned the, the, we're jumping all the way to the end to start this conversation, but the fact that at the end of this chapter, we're going to see Belshazzar bestow the purple robe and the title and the position and all the stuff on Daniel, even though Daniel said, it's over, like, keep, it's done. Yeah. And not only keep your gifts, but yeah, but you're not surviving the night. Yeah. What's, what, what's the question there? What are you thinking? Yeah. I mean, I, I just find it fascinating of, is this a comment about, Belshazzar, and again, is this a character thing? Is this just a pragmatic thing? Is he just still drunk from his feast? And he's he's too ignorant in his drunkenness to know that the army's coming, and he's now just at the same time now ignoring Daniel's interpretation for what's coming. I, I we truly don't know, but I I just find it fascinating that you know here we have Belshazzar make this great proclamation before all of his wise men saying, you know, we'll make them third in the kingdom. We'll give you a, a purple robe, crown you with a gold necklace. And and like you had said in your sermon, you know, this is the most perhaps edgy Daniel is as this old man, you know, pulled out of his, his chair for in his prayers to come answer this, you know, fl- another flash pan king who doesn't really know who he is. And, and yet, even after receiving the interpretation of this writing, uh, Belshazzar gives him what he said. He he then commends Daniel and clothes him in purple and a chain of gold is put around his neck and he's now made the third ruler of his kingdom. And I guess Daniel then carries that title for a whopping night uh, before it's <laughs> it's undone. Um, because again, the very next verse is that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Um, and then Darius, the Mede, receives the kingdom. And, and, and I feel like it, it is, it could be just that it's this pragmatic, you know, account that, that Belshazzar is just still drunk and in his ignorance and doing his own, doing his own thing that is so different from the reality that surrounds him. But at the same time, I have to wonder, is not this the same comment on his pride? Is it not still pride in his life that he thinks? Well, we're going to get through this. It, it doesn't even matter the interpretation. I said this guy would, you know, anybody who could interpret it, this guy did. I'm going to still clothe him because my kingdom still is going to last. Yeah, that doesn't him, mean his interpretation. Right, I, right. He gave one. Okay, fine. This this crackpot old Jewish guy came in, gave his interpretation, and. I will tell you though, as a as a therapist who works with narcissistic thinkers alike, a lot, and alike, um, mm-hmm. I will. It, it, an, indi- an interesting trait of them is their inability to accept other people's boundaries, mm. even in just simple little things. Sometimes, like you know that they're the they're the that way of thinking. Not everyone who does this is narcissistic, but you know when you go in and they're like, "Hey, would you like something to drink?" and you're like, "No, I'm no really, I'm good," and they're like, "No, really, I'm." let me get you something to drink. I want to get, no, no, really, I'm good. No, it's, it's no problem. I'm going to go myself and get myself something. So why don't I, and finally you go, fine, get me something to drink. Like, mm. because they, they, they're not listening. They're not hearing what you're saying in that situation. And there's a fine line sometimes between Southern hospitality and narcissism, but, <laughs> but that's a, that, that's a, it, it feels almost like that to me. I said, I was going to give you these things if you did it you not wanting them. I mean, that just bounces off my skull. Mm, that's a good point. So 
Oh, I lost you there. I didn't hear you. I can't hear you. No, I just was commenting. That's a fantastic. Oh, I got nothing. We'll see if it's coming through. We hear you fine, which is good. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, uh, so I, I think that may be part of what's going on here is the, with, with these men, like it actually literally reminds me specifically, I will regularly have wives come into counseling saying, you know, my husband bought me this $10,000 ring that I will never wear that I don't want that I would never want. I mean, he, he literally knows so little about me or so disinterested in what I want, but he spends this huge amount of money and now I'm supposed to owe him because he bought me this. I'm supposed to be so appreciative that he bought me this $10,000 that I don't want. And so I've always interpreted this as Belshazzar going, well, I just told a whole room full of my wives, concubines, lords, and advisors that I was going to do this. You not wanting them is could not be less relevant to me. Mm. Uh, but that's it. I've not thought of it in the, in the denial like, well, Daniel, uh, who, who would have been more stuck? That Belshazzar with Daniel or Daniel with Belshazzar if the prophecy hadn't come true of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a fascinating question. They would not have liked each other, I don't think. I, I've always, I think I even taught this back in Young Guns, that my perception would be that Daniel probably left them laying on the floor when he walked out of the room. Mm. The robe. Now, he might not have been willing to offend the king that much publicly, but uh, certainly in his mind, it's not like he was going, hey, these will get a place of prominence back at my house. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Not a, this will come in handy later because he knows, he knows it's going to end that night. Yep. That's, that's so intriguing that this moment is one in which Daniel is a, probably 100% confident of the fact that the next day he's going to have a different king. Mm-hmm. And Belshazzar probably isn't. So this isn't like Saul, who I think goes to battle having been told you're going to die in the battle tomorrow and i think saul actually probably believed that yeah and still went but he believed yeah probably the only really noble thing we get to see saul do mm-hmm. one of the few noble things but yeah that's interesting okay so since we're on pride here's a question that struck me too so how has daniel handled the insult of being ignored for the last about decade or a little more like it's, it struck me as, as Christians as well. How are we dealing with losing our position of prominence in our culture that I, I, you know, there are still people in East Texas who defer to me because I'm a pastor, Mm -hmm. but there's not many left here. And in most places it's actually a net negative. Like if I'm on an airplane Mm -hmm. and somebody hears I'm a pastor they're now much, much less interested in having a conversation with me, um, typically. So I usually tell people I'm a psychologist. Because <laughs> then they'll still talk to me. But how do we, as a culture, you know, how do you deal with being ignored? We'll talk about persecuted under six. We just, we, you and I decided that probably we'll do that. But under chapter six in Daniel, but ignored. Because it feels that way sometimes. Yeah, and I certainly think, you know, even as we mentioned this conversation of what's what's moving, what we're moving into six with, and the idea of persecution, seems like there's, you know, th- there's a, a something about the culture today that that is certainly moving in that direction, yet I think when you said it, even this morning, 
it seems more apropos to say, yeah, there's an aspect of just kind of being forgotten about, or at least being, mm, let's sweep under the rug. Let's put this over here. You know, the idea of, again, not necessarily that we were um, founded to be a Christian nation, but certainly there was a much higher tie with Christianity and with kind of the ideas or the principles that would arise out of that um, uh, with even our, our founding fathers, that there was a closer link there. And yet now it seems like, well, before we can get to the not just uh, undoing and putting away that, we first have to kind of ignore that. It seems like it's a, a, a natural step to say, well, let, let's just kind of ignore this to make some steps. And then once we've taken those steps, then we can, okay, now that we've gained this ground, now we can look back at that and say, well, now let's move against, not just away from Christianity or from those things. Because, yeah, I think that that is as an interesting comment, the idea that as as Christians, when we when our voice or our Christian voice then is largely being ignored, how do we respond? What do we do? Yeah, it does. It does feel that way. We're the, you know, Vody Bauckham does that analogy of the couch that you're, you know, the first couch you own as a couple is so important to you. And, mm-hmm. and then while you move it to the back room, cause it's not nice enough for your living room. And then eventually you move it to the attic or the garage and then eventually out to the curb. And right now in Christianity, it's like, well, the, the non-religious right has to acknowledge that we exist. And there's a little bit of like patronizing at times, maybe more than that. I may be underestimating that, but, but certainly a sense of like, okay, we've heard from you guys now. That's, that's nice. Y'all are cute. Thanks for your thoughts. Um, now let's get input from people who really, their, their opinion actually matters uh, more. I don't know. Colson, you look like you're thinking hard over there. What are you thinking? Yeah, I feel like I don't have a whole lot to add. I feel like it. it's just like, oh, that's a really, yeah, really great thought of, yeah, where, where is the disconnect? And how come, you know, like the, the disconnect coming from, you know, we're being informed by what we believe is God's word, but we're seen as ignorant or, you know, having the wool pulled over our eyes. I was like, man, that's just from the, from an outsider's perspective, it's like, well, they, the, the ignorance and it's like, we're, we're trying not to be ignorant. We're trying to inform our lives by what we believe that God, what God has said. Right. Yeah. And I think that idea of like, you know, the, the, when it becomes no longer pragmatic. So when you're, when you're being ignored and you know that this is no longer an advantageous, you know, stance for you to be able to, to, to take in the culture, do you then just kind of throw the baby with bathwater? You just kind of say, well, then I don't need to act on this. Um, and it really what it, what it reminds me of is it reminds me of the concepts and the warnings in scripture against being a lukewarm Christian yeah. that, that mm-hmm. to be ignored, um, you know, kind of then is like the, oh, well, if, I, if I'm going to be ignored for taking the stance, well, then I won't really take the stance so that I can mm-hmm. have 
presence or acknowledgement or whatever. Um, and, and I feel like that, that stands as kind of that first test, first test of the church of like, where, where then does the lukewarm person stand out? Um, you know, we get in, in revelation three, the warning against, uh, to the seven churches, the warning against being a lukewarm person of when Jesus reveals, I know your deeds, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold or hot, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth like this. I feel like persecution will move against those that are really falsifying, um, you know, yeah. a, a, a fake kind of belief. And I wonder if like the first hints of somebody who's a lukewarm Christian comes when they realize, well, this is no longer advantageous. It, I'm just being ignored. So I'll just, yeah, I'll just give this up. Do you, um, like they, they pretend, they say they're a psychologist rather than a pastor. That's what you mean? <laughs> That's what I mean on the plane, <laughs> just to continue conversation. No. Wow. I think I'm getting called out here. <laughs> You're just being all things to all people. That's right. Um, well, I'm actually being subversive is what I'm being. I'm saying <laughs> I can continue to, maybe I can work my way to the conversation of Jesus, but if they know I'm a pastor. Um, so, okay, side note, side note, because I want to come back to that. It was, it was eye-opening to me under Dr. Lee's revelation class to find out that Laodicea, um, you've probably heard this, has the, the warm, the hot springs to the mm-hmm. north of them, cool springs, the cold springs to the south of them. I was definitely raised in the hot and cold, meaning like I wish you were either bad or good, not in between. Mm-hmm. Not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I wish you were good hot or I wish you were good cold. But but I, I'm not interested in you being something in between there. Like, yeah, cool water is good in the Middle East. Hot water is rare anywhere in the world when you don't have electricity. Um, I would love either one of those. But this, this uh, well, as I remember correctly, this runoff from the hot springs that is nasty, lukewarm, and sulfurous is just gross. No one wants to drink it. Um, and so, anyway, that's how I was taught. Uh, by Dr. Lee, like it was a, it doesn't mean I'd wish you were just a big time sinner or a big time saint, but, right. we, we, <laughs> but I was definitely raised that that's what the correct interpretation of that. Um, okay. So, uh, okay. A couple of things came to my mind. Do you think part of this though, do you think part of why we are in a process of being ignored is we've earned that because is it safe, as painful as this may be, and this just came to me while you are talking, Paul, is it painful, as painful as it is, that most probably churchgoers, maybe even I would say in our church, that for them their faith is marginalized, that they live practically as agnostics, even though they are Christians. Like it, their faith, their relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't, greatly affect their marriage or parenting or the way they do business or the way they pay taxes. Like maybe we've earned marginalization by the fact that we marginalize. We're, we're, we're not, we're not trustworthy to as, as, and as Colson was saying to be living our life saturated with the gospel. I don't know. That struck me as a different version of marginalization. Yeah, certainly. And even let me try to look it up. I'm looking it up quickly because I think it's yeah. One of the so Titus one. Um, I feel like it's such a strong rebuke of this idea 
of, it says in 116, yeah, here it is. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Um, that, you know, when back in Jesus, when Luke, you know, in Luke 6, when Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? You know, this idea of if our actions or our lives are living out something that would be in denial of yet than what our mouths are proclaiming, that we know that we know God, that we call him Lord, Lord, but nothing lines up with that. Um, you know, these are pretty strong rebukes of that. That equation doesn't doesn't work in God's economy. He's not going to say, yeah, that's, that's how you can find success in my kingdom is just pay me lip service and you'll be able to get what you want. You know, Mm. maybe this is again, why the wise men, you know, these Chaldeans, these astrologers, you know, and that yet again, can't do their job yet. They're still around. (laughs) Maybe it is. They're still around in this kingdom because they're really good at lip service. And And that's good enough for the Babylonians to keep you around uh, so that they, even in their, when they can't provide and they can't do what they're called to do, they're at least, you know, saving their face by paying homage or paying lip service. But apparently in God's economy, that's, that's not how it works. No. Um, Wow. That's okay. So uh, I know that with the irony, this is the irony that we run into as teachers all the time that probably the people who are listening to this podcast aren't the type who aren't saturating their life with right. gospel yet. Probably the people listening will be like, yeah, that's a great point. I need to make sure my life is um, okay. So Gene Fleming, I'll definitely be saying this Sunday, the, the irony of me picking on not giving citations and, and not giving credit. And then in a sermon thinking of a quote that I can't remember who said it, um, that was, that was obviously a humbling moment for me on stage. And so the, uh, uh, Gene Fleming, who's written a number of really excellent books. In, fa- in fact, one of them is about living the Christ centered life. Um, and again, I don't know her, all of her stances on everything, but her quote was to add Christ to our, our to our already busy life is to complicate living, to allow Christ to absorb all the elements of our life is to simplify it. Um, that's, that's again, back to this idea. The idea is that Christ would absorb all the elements of our life. He would be, our lives would be saturated with him. Yeah. Um, and I didn't tell you this, but actually, so you, you said that, you know, you were looking for the quote and I've heard you say it before and I knew and it, and the quote resonated or it was something that I was like, yeah, I've come across that. So I was like, I'll quickly find that. Uh, so I was, while you were saying it and up on stage, I was <laughs> searching real quick on my iPad to see if I could find the source of the quote for you and then be able to throw it out there. And the first thing that came up was when I typed it in close enough as I could remember, I did find an article uh, in a blog uh, that was written. I don't remember his name, Um, but essentially he was quoting that and then did not give citation for it, (laughs) but he was certainly (laughs) quoting it. And I was like, Oh, well, there you go. It was almost, too good for your point that I was making of how often we do this. That I was like, well, I found the quote, but I found it by a guy who didn't actually cite where it was from. Wow. Yeah, I need to post that on Facebook and do all kinds of stuff to give Gene uh, Fleming credit for that. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let's take just a second because we always like to talk about if there's a controversy in a passage. This is a great place because sometimes in a 35-minute sermon, we can't unpack the controversy 
and of course we have even less time now here, but it's, it's a few places. Um, so the, so Paul, share your thoughts too, and we'll discuss this, but so mean, mean, tekel, aparsin is Aramaic, which is exactly what this room full of people probably would have spoken. Uh-huh. So do you have an opinion on why they couldn't interpret this language? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so the first thing that I feel like is, again, maybe one of those puzzle pieces that is helpful for this is in the original language, even in the Hebrew sections of Daniel, not just we're still in the Aramaic section of Daniel, but both Hebrew and Aramaic in the ancient form uh, would have been written and, I mean, I guess known to, to the original audience only in consonants. So you would have just had this this phrase that's up here that we're seeing in this transliteration with these vowels. These vowels um, are are added in, um, and again added in through. There's a, a longer, much longer conversation about um, how vowels were added into Hebrew or how they were added into Aramaic, um, and largely is because of, again of an oral tra- tradition where they would have been known and assumed. Um, but really here, these words that were written up there would have just been a series of just uh, recorded consonants. And then now the idea of those consonants, oftentimes in both languages, depending on what vowels you add, then yields potentially different meanings, different words. Um, right. And so this, this idea that these, these consonants that were up there, now Daniel's coming in and he's interpreting now rightly because of divine revelation what god has given him the correct vowels to put in there um, which now links all three of these words with this with some concept of at least measures of weight um i know we're, we're pretty much out of time but so we will we will unpack this a little bit more in the sermon but if you just, if, you know, the listener just imagines looking up on the wall and seeing, and I'll probably post this Sunday in English, M-N-N-N-T-K-L-P-H-R-S-N on the wall mm-hmm. and going, what? That's I, I, I obviously as an American, I made the joke, you know, Pat, I'd like to buy a vowel, please. Like we, <laughs> we need, I still don't have any idea what that is. So even if they could read the letters, one that doesn't mean they know where the word, which which words make which ones are words because mm-hmm. they didn't may not have word spacing even, and then then they even if they had known the words, the words aren't don't create an obvious message, they create kind of a dubious one. But I don't know. Yeah, when it, even when we were even when we were talking about the idea that the last word, which would have just been like you said, P R S, this idea of paras that we're getting. Um, even in it, paras itself now has three different meanings, potential meanings for it. Now, all of yeah. them kind of fit into Daniel's interpretation when you're looking at it and you're thinking, oh, yeah, well, it means Persia, and Persia was the dominant yeah. kingdom. Um, but then also, it, you know, this idea of, of, of what it could also stand for with the related to the idea of division um, and, again, the idea of weight, uh, it, so this even in simplest form by what we get of the interpretation we still see a complexity we see a complexity in it that certainly would have been one that again i think god is the one orchestrating all of this god is the one who has removed nebuchadnezzar from the throne for a time uh, because of his pride and now he's removing belshazzar from his kingdom 
because of his pride, uh, and he's doing it at his his control. It's not the Persians who are coming in and doing this. Uh, it is God who's orchestrated the Persians to do this because he also then is the one who's orchestrating this complex riddle and only giving Daniel his representative the the interpretation, the right meaning of it.